You're listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. All right, now we're going to move into our scripture reading. I invite you to stand. Um, We stand for scripture reading as a reverence to the word and that we are getting to hear directly from the Lord. Um, Our scripture reading today is, we're still in the book of Colossians in our series. We're going to be in Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. It says this, Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart, as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tracy. Good morning, family. How are you guys doing today? Doing all right? I don't have any like really engaging thing like Andrew did last week, so um, so thank you for the response. That's as good as it's going to get. There you go. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Every Sunday morning, it's just a joy um, to worship with you guys uh, and to just love Jesus together. Um, we're in an exciting season of our church. Uh, we're closing out our Colossians series next week. And then through March, we will be going through kind of, if, you, if you're here for the, the meeting after, you'll see kind of like the value points that we want to focus on. And we'll be going through a series on those value points uh, into the time of Easter, and then after Easter, we'll be going into the book of John. So we're really excited about what God is doing and the growth in our church and the hearts that are being shaped. As you can see, all the families um, from newborn to grandparents to all over, we're just so joyous in, in what God is doing here. I want to continue our series in Colossians as we continue it. Um, I want to pray for us. If you um, are there on Colossians 3, 18 to 4 through 1, if you don't have that in front of you, Bible or something, your app, it'll also be up there. But if you get that out, uh, and then I'll pray for us and then give us a little review and then jump into it. Sound good? Got one, yep. Love it. Here we go. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this morning that we get to worship you. We get to exalt you. We get to have a space uh, that's set apart for your worship, God, and and, and it's for your glory and for our good. Lord, you are shaping our hearts. God, as we dive into your word this morning, help us to grasp who you are more, which then will help us understand who we are more and how to live in this life in glory and to glorify you, Jesus. God, may I be less so you can be more this morning. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I want to do a quick review of the last few weeks in the book of Colossians. We saw that Paul was really, first thing he really wanted to establish was helping us and helping the, the, the church in Colossae understand who Christ is. 
Right? Remember, the supremacy of Jesus is central. He is from the beginning, in the beginning. He, he was not created, right? He was God from the beginning and came as a boy to breathe God in the flesh for humanity's sake so that he can die for sins and give life, new life to those who follow him. Right? We talked about that. We talked about who Christ is. And then, and then we saw Paul wanting to combat these false narratives, these false teachings, these heresies that were going on in the church then. Right? We saw how God was wanting to establish clarity through Paul and his writings on who Jesus was and what the gospel truly is. There was false teachings on these legalistic Judaizers that we looked at a little bit, that they were trying to implement legalism and these rules and mandates that actually were not connected to the gospel of Jesus. They were just extra things in addition to Jesus that they said needed for salvation, which were false. And then we saw the mystic Gentiles trying to do the same with their traditions and their cultural understanding where the mystic Gentiles wanted to add more to Jesus in order for salvation to be a reality. And that was a false gospel. And then last week we looked at who we are, what our identity is in Christ, that that we are made righteous through Jesus' life. And he's made us now righteous and now we have an identity that's centered on who he is. That's such good news. That's the gospel. Now we're going to go into a little bit of a... How do we now live? Paul goes into that towards the end of the book. Like, what does that mean then for us today and now? How do we live? This week and next week, we'll look at that a little bit. Because this is true. How do we now live from this and through this? All right? So I want to read again what Tracy read because, um, as you can tell, we don't try to skip or we don't skip any hard sections of Scripture. We believe in going through the scriptures because God ordained it that way. And for us to learn through his word, we want to teach it and and learn through it and grow in it and understand who and what Jesus is trying to say to us, what God is trying to say to us through his word. And so we're going to read it one more time through, and and then I'm going to give some clarity as we go through it. So it says this, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. All right, ladies, one second. Let me finish everything. And then hopefully you'll have clarity on what Paul is trying to say. As is fitting in the Lord, which is a big deal right there. A lot of times we skip that. As is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. I want to give a quick context so that we understand what's going on here. Okay? The relational reality of this time is important to grasp. Like, why is Paul writing to these people in this way? Okay, but before we do that, first off, we want to see what is Paul's intent. 
Okay, he sandwiches his intent with two verses that are essential to grasp because in verse 17, last week we kind of saw the end of that and it's right before this section, he says this, he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Very similar language he used later on, right? In verse 23, whatever you do, do it from the heart as though from the Lord and not for people. Okay, he's giving the intent of whatever you do, whoever you are, wherever you're from, wherever you are in your season of life, this is why I'm writing this. Okay, I just think it's important to grasp, like, that's his intent. That's the heart of why he's saying these things. And then he starts giving practical ways of living to people groups in all of this and, and giving the intent of why this is important. So the reason he picks these groups of people is simply because that's who's there in Colossae. That's who he's writing to. That's the reality of who is present. We see that because he's saying to you, like he's, re- he's writing directly to these individuals as if they're reading it themselves. So every person that he was talking to was there present. See, it's not pointing at anyone that's better or less than, or even if slavery is good or bad. He's just describing the intent of like, this is who's there. This is the reality. So I want us to understand that. Like he's not at all advocating or saying slavery is good or bad. He's just recognizing that's the reality of what's going on at that time. And he's writing to the people group there. So if, if people try to use that scripture and say, look, God says slavery is good. It's like, that's not at all what's happening here. Okay, so I just want to make sure that's clear. Because when we read that, sometimes we can be like, wait, what's going on there? I mean, and if we don't know that now, but like reality is in some countries, this is still a thing. There's slavery going on around the world. And it's sad. And obviously we know our history here in America. But he's writing to the people and helping them grasp who God is and who they are in light of where they are in their life. And helping them see how to live. That's the intent. So that's what we're going to focus on in this section of scripture. It's simply the context in which he is writing. Okay. So and we must look at every encouragement as a branch of what the main point is there. To do all things in accordance to his glory. That in all, the ways that you live and do life, do it in, as if you are identified as a child of God. That's his intent. Do it all for his glory and his name. He is our true master and our identity affects how we now live. All right, so our big idea, I think what Paul was trying to tell the book of Colossae, the people of Colossae, and what God is trying to show us here and now in today's passage is this. This is our big idea for today. Our big idea is that our new identity produces new life that results in new living. So today's big idea is powerful, it's important, it's essential. Our new identity produces new life that results in new living. See, this isn't just some abstract concept. It's a game changer. It's for our everyday lives. See, let's explore together how our identity in Christ now transforms us and shapes us the way we are called to then live. So I want to give us three actions that overflow out of our identity in Jesus. Knowing that we're all in different uh, places in life, seasons in life, in accordance to some of these people that he mentions. So these are three actions that overflow through our identity. The first one is live well. Very simple. 
What does that mean? Live well. See, living well isn't about perfection. That's important to understand. Living well is not about perfection. It's about authenticity. Who we truly are. Verses 18 through 25 challenge us to live well in our relationships, in our workplace, and within our family dynamic. That's what Paul's challenging and encouraging. Whether you're a spouse, a parent, a child, or an employee, your identity in Christ should make a visible impact in your life and to those around you. See, living well means showing love, practicing forgiveness, and embracing humility. It's about being real with each other, acknowledging our flaws, and relying on God's grace to navigate through life's complexities. As a community of believers, let's strive to make our homes, our workplaces, our friendships, all places where God's love, where Christ's love is evident in every area. That's the desire. That's the hope. That's the encouragement Paul is extending. And if we noticed all the relationships, all the people that he's mentioning here, wife, husband, husband, child, father, slave, master, these are all actually relationships that are in places that are not out in the open as much as they are behind closed doors. Right? Your family life, your family dynamic, how you treat each other, how you're treating each other when others are not looking. And so this is actually a, a relationship Um, integrity check that Paul is trying to pursue here. He's, He's saying, do this even when others are not around. Do this even when others are not looking. Do this because it is who you are and it overflows out of you. Live this way. This is a love check. Always love, not just when others are looking. And so I'm actually gonna go verse by verse in in explaining what Paul is saying for those individual people. All right? Women are excited for this. Should be. We all should be. So the first one, right, is wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. All right, elephant in the room here, right? Like Paul, first and foremost, he is not saying, we have to know what he's not saying here. He is not saying submit and obey your husbands no matter what, even if they are abusive or, rela- or irrational or against God's way of love. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying just submit because he's your husband. Paul caveats his statement with as is fitting to the Lord. That's important. As is fitting to the Lord, as a contingency, submit yourselves that the way in which a husband is leading is in line with the Lord. That the way a husband is leading is in line with scripture. That the way a husband is leading is in line with the ways of Jesus. The ways of which Jesus lived and loved others. This is a mandate for husbands just as much as it is for wives. That it's a mutual submission unto the Lord in the way the relationship 
is now lived, husband and wife. Because you best believe that Shirley was not submitting to me blindly, right? Like early, early years of our marriage, oh, I didn't ask her if I can share this, but it's nothing, that's, that's nothing crazy. <laughs> Apologize. Yeah, see, I'm not always perfect. It is what it is. See, this was, it was hard in the beginning, right? I mean, I don't know those of you that are either going to be married or just got married or, or remember those newlywed years. Like, the trust that is built within a relationship early on in marriage is not just easily given, right? Especially in, in, in lines of, like, scriptures like this, like, husbands submit or wives submit to your husbands. It's like, what does that mean? I'm not just going to do what you tell me to do all the time. Right? I had to really show her that I was surrendered to the leading of the Lord in order to lead her and our family well. That I had to show her that she can trust that I am doing all that I can in my power to be led by Jesus in how we lead our families. And, and the key is, is that she kept me accountable in leading well, lovingly. Right, like that's important, right? As wives, like to, it's not easy to be the one who's called to lead the family in the home, and to be under the covenant of Jesus, saying, "Jesus, lead me, so I can lead my family well." We need a partner to help guide us in how to do that well, and I'm grateful that I have a wife that helped me do that well. That she kept me accountable, and she, like, "Are you checking with the Lord? What's going on there?" Right? This this, this seems off. Let's really pray about this. Right? It's not. Just submit to your husbands no matter what happens and what they say. Like it's submit unto the Lord what he has called us and what is fitting into him, unto him. So there's a mutual submission unto the Lord here. It's so, so vital and important. If you want to talk more about that, I'd love to. You might agree or disagree with me, but it's all good. I just believe that's what, that's what it means. Fitting unto the Lord. And then it continues. It says, husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Right, Just as Jesus is kind, gentle, gracious, and merciful to us, let us love as he loves. Everything is in alignment with who Jesus is, the Lord's leading. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Obedience to parents teaches obedience to God, not good behavior. That's important. That we don't, we don't desire our children to obey us because we want them to just be good in the way that they behave. But we want to train and develop and disciple them to learn that obedience to their parents is a desire to, to learn and teach them obedience to God. That this discipline of obedience is taught at a young age, growing up, in order to grasp that God has his best in mind when he asks something of us. And that our kids are being trained and developed and taught that as they grow up and we say, hey, I'm, I'm obeying the Lord as I am teaching you to obey me. And that's part of the reason why we love worshiping with our families, because we want to show our children that we are under the worship, under the kingship, under the lordship of Jesus as we worship him. This is how we worship. Would you worship with us? And when we go back home and we say, hey, 
That's not unto the Lord. This is what we got to teach you and help you understand that they would recognize that we are in obedience and under the leading of God in the way we disciple and discipline and teach our children. That's essential. It's so important that they would grow up to know, oh, this is for my good. Because I'll be honest, I was one of those kids, man, when I heard the word obedience, that was a bad word for me. That was a cuss word. Like, what do you mean obey? I do what I want, you know, kind of thing. But like teaching in the ways of the Lord is essential. Verse 21, then it says, fathers or parents, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. See, God really and realistically, and we have to understand this, God never forced his people to obey him. He never forces us to obey, but rather through his kindness, through his mercy, through his grace, through his clear expectations, is when we are led to true repentance. So let us as parents the same way lead our children in that. Let us love them in the Lord. Let us discipline in love and understanding of his love in the way we lead and guide our, our little ones. And then verse 22, slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Again, this is a hard passage, a hard section of scripture to us, for us to grasp, like, well, how does that relate? How does that connect to us? Because again, this is the reality of what was happening in that time. So he's helping them and encouraging them in where they are in life. And I, and I would, it could fit, it could not fit, but I would encourage us that this is a reality of the context. But that somewhere and somehow we need to relate it to us. We must consider that our work ethic at work, at school, in sporting arenas, for, for those growing up in, in that realm, like our boss, our teacher, our coach, working hard, how we work under that understanding is all done unto the Lord. Is all done because he is our master, he is our coach, he is our boss, he is our teacher. And that we do it in excellence because he is who we worship. He is who we live for. Not for the sake of pleasing man. Each member, if we can see this section of scripture, each member of the household has value in the eyes of God with a significant role to play in the kingdom of God. See, let us all live well within our call and area of life. Let us all live well. Our second action that overflows out of our identity, the second one is live for Christ. First one's live well, second one's live for Christ. What's the difference? Living for Christ means bringing him into every part of our lives, into every area of our lives. Reminds, verses 23 to 24 reminds us, whatever you do, work at it with all the wall of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. See, our jobs, our passions, our daily activities are not just mundane tasks. They're not just things we got to get done, although it feels that way 90% of the time. But the reality is that they are opportunities to glorify God. 
They are opportunities to reflect who God is through our life, the overflow of our life. So living for Christ challenges us to approach our work, our studies, our hobbies with excellence, with integrity, and a heart that seeks to honor God. It's about finding purpose in the seemingly ordinary moments and recognize that in everything that we do, we are serving the Lord. Everything that we do. I like to ask myself this often, and I've used it before. What would Jesus do if he was me? Right? In my circumstance, in my situation, how would I bring the Father glory in my situation? What would I do if Jesus, or what would Jesus do if he was me? And I think that's an important question to ask. And I think a beautiful description is that Jesus is the example of the perfect human that we are to live, that we are to follow, that we are to replicate. Paul does a cool job of reflecting how Jesus lived in a couple of verses in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. He describes Jesus in the way he lived, the way he humbled himself. And I would encourage us, let's look at this and say, wow, how do I now live this way? Clearly, we need the power of God to show us. Verses five through eight, this is Paul talking about Jesus. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. It's kind of the same encouragement I'm giving us here, right? We must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died as a criminal at criminal's death on a cross. That Jesus humbled himself even though he has every right, every reason to demand righteousness and for everyone to bow and kneel before him. That he can demand for everyone to remain righteous because he has the right to. As God in the flesh, he had every right to. But yet, he humbled himself. So as we love, as Jesus loved, may we humble ourselves with no sense of entitlement. No sense of we deserve better than this. Let me tell you what, Jesus deserved better than what he got. He deserved the glory and the worship and the praise and the honor and no one to, let, to lay a hand on him. He deserved all of it. But yet he took the cross. But yet he was spit on. But yet he was beaten. And the reality is what he deserved is everything we deserved. But he said he would take it for us. And he took it for us. So this sense of entitlement in the way we love or become loved by others is mute. It's a mute point. Like that, that's, that should not exist in the way we love. If we look at the life of Jesus who deserved to expect others to love him unconditionally because he was God. And he did not receive that. So there is no sense of entitlement that we deserve this. But rather in humility... 
we love. He still humbled himself in his love. May we humble ourselves in the way we love, even to the point of dying. Jesus, would you help empower us with your love? I mean, that should be our prayer. Because clearly it feels sometimes impossible or hard because it's divine. It's a divine love. It's an agape. It's an unconditional love that only comes from above. And our prayer daily should be, Lord, help us love our loved ones, those around us, our church family, the way you love, without entitlement, without expectations, but rather love because you loved us first. To live for Christ in context of personal relationships gives us a glimpse of God's original intent for us from the very beginning. This was God's intent, to love this way. Obviously, when sin comes in and when brokenness comes in, it makes it so much harder to love this way because we are being sinned against and we are then also sinning against others. So this kind of love almost feels impossible at times. That we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to lead us in loving well. To live in Christ. To live for Christ. See, this is of course against what the world says. The world tells us complete opposite. The world tells us, go get yours. Right? The world tells us, do whatever it takes, even if it means harming others, to get yours. The world, the world sometimes even says, if you ain't first, you're last. So go get it. Right? Like, this is against human wisdom, the way Jesus loved. But yet he came, God in the flesh, and loved in humility and said, that the last will be first. This is why we say new identity, new life, new living. Our third action, and we'll close out, in the new identity that we have, the overflow of the actions is to live well, to live for Christ, and third, do not live for man's approval. Do not live for man's approval. Because the opposite of living well and living for Christ is living for man's approval. Living in this age of social media and constant comparison, it's so easy to fall into the trap of seeking approval from others. So easy. Right, verses 22 and 23 encourages us that not to be people pleasers, but to work sincerely, remembering that we serve the Lord. Don't let society's standards define your worth. Your value comes from your identity in Christ, not from the number of likes or followers you get. Or the opinions of those around you, even those that you love deeply. See, you seek God's approval above all else and find yourself confident in his love and acceptance, not in what others say or do. The great theologian said, live for the Lord, not the likes. Stephen Sandridge. <laughs> we, we, uh, we do sermon prep meetings every week on Tuesdays. Um, 
and he always has like the great phrases. And I'm like, I got to use that one. So live for the Lord, not the likes. Because just like verse 24 says, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. The greatest promise, what, what better inheritance can anyone receive than the one who created all things? What greater inheritance? I don't care who your father is. No matter how rich he is, no matter what he has to give you, it is nothing even close to the inheritance that we have in God. That this promise of an inheritance, the greatest promise and inheritance anyone can receive is his. That God gives it to his people, an eternal inheritance of grace, love, and that all that is his is ours. That's what it says in scripture. That all the fullness of who he is and what he has given, we receive that inheritance in full. We might not see all of it at once, or now and today, but we will one day see his full inheritance in eternity. I want to encourage us, remind us of this truth, that if we live for the applause of man, we will die from their criticisms. If we live for the applause of man, we will die from their criticisms. Everyone looks for someone to praise and everyone looks for someone to blame. It happens like this. Right, last week was a big game. As you all know, I'm, I'm kind of healing from it so I can talk a little bit about it. But the reality is, is that it's so easy to give the praise to those who finish the play or, or finish the game and win. And it's so easy to point the finger at the one that lost and say, oh, if they just, if he just, if they just did this and they just did that. But it really came down to one or two plays. And so if that actually was just the other way around, then it would have been the other way around right away. The blame would have been like, oh, only if that guy that actually won should have done this. And it could have been flipped in a second. All of it is the criticisms of man that just point the finger just as quickly as they point to give glory. The only thing, if we're real and honest, that we do that, we seek that, that we see and we want this glory from man, but then right away they can turn away and criticize and it crushes us. It crushes us. The only thing sustaining our sanity is the foundation of our identity in Christ. In the one who created us, the one who loves us, the one who is for us and will never forsake us, this identity that we have in him sustains our sanity. Or else we are waved back and forth with heartache and excitement, heartache and pain. Back and forth. There is no other constant in the world. There's nothing else out there that can give us that steadiness. Everything else and everyone else is wavery. They will be the first to glorify you, but they will be the first to condemn you. That's why Jesus is our rock and our sustainer. He is our only reason. So if you're in the workforce, if you're trying to move up the, the ladder of, um, you know, the, 
the workforce, if you're trying to attain some type of goals, they're good, but just remember why and who you're doing it for. If you're doing it for the approval of man or for your boss and, and, and they glorify you by giving you a raise but then turn around and criticize you and you're crushed by it, then we've fallen short to remember that we do this for the glory of God and him alone, that he sustains us, not man. We don't do it for the applause of people. We do it for the glory of God. So living for the approval of man is the destruction of our internal and eternal peace. Living for the approval of man is the destruction of our internal and eternal peace. So we do it for him. So as I close, family, as we embrace our new identity in Christ, let's commit to living authentically. That let our lives be a testimony to the transformative power of Jesus, because only he can do it through us. Live well in your relationships, no matter where you are, in your relationships, whether you're a daughter, a son, a husband, a wife, an employee, a worker, wherever you are, live well. And work for Christ in everything you do. And refuse to be controlled by the opinions of others. Our new identity produces new life. And that new life results in a new way of living that reflects the love and grace of our Savior. May this truth shape our days, impact our communities, and bring glory to the one who has called us into this new life. Amen? Let me pray. God, we thank you that you are our example, Jesus. That so much so that we look at you and we are in awe of how you live. The love that you display, the way that you're calling us to live the way you lived seems impossible at times. Which hopefully draws us into more dependence on your spirit. More dependence on who you are. More dependence on our call to be near to you so that you can reflect yourself through us and in us. So God, we pray that, Lord. We pray that here, God, would you empower us by your spirit to live and love the way you've called us to live and love, the way you did it, Lord, when you lived in the, on this earth. You reflected your perfect humanity so that we can live like you, Jesus. So as we look at our hearts, as we shape our hearts and look at the life you lived and recognize the life and the sacrifice and the death that you took for us, we remember through communion, what you've done. We remember and respond by taking these elements and knowing that your body that was broken, your blood that was shed is a representation of who you are, what you've done for us, and who that makes us today and now. So God, as we do this, as we reflect, as we respond to you, may we be shaped and molded and transformed by your spirit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at storycitygh or online at storycitychurch.com. Go and be the church.